0: Fentanyl seizures at the border have increased 480% since
1: 2020. When fentanyl kills, it doesn't care what state you're from or what age you are or what ethnicity or what your voting registration is. It just kills Americans.
0: That's Congressman Tony Gonzalez of Texas explaining how a surge in fentanyl seizures at the southern border illustrates a nationwide challenge that requires a bipartisan response. I'm Margaret Hoover. This is the Firing Line Podcast. The crisis at the southern border continues to intensify, with a record number of migrants apprehended last month.
1: Border Patrol agents are doing everything they can to take care of the situation, but they are completely overwhelmed, and it's getting worse.
0: Tony Gonzalez represents nearly half the U.S.-Mexico border. And the Texas Republican says the Biden administration's policies have brought chaos to his district, and increasingly, the rest of the country.
1: It's like the Hotel California. You can enter, but you can never leave. So once you get in the migrant business, you're stuck in there. And all of a sudden, all your city resources are devoted towards that.
0: A former Navy master who served in Iraq and Afghanistan, Gonzalez has sought pragmatic solutions that led to his censure by the Texas GOP.
1: I have quickly found there are not that many genuine actors that want to see this problem get solved because it is very lucrative politically to just, you know, blame one another for everything that's wrong.
0: In March, Gonzalez will face several primary challengers. And in full disclosure, Gonzalez has received support from American Unity PAC, a political group that supports Republicans who advance LGBT equality. And I am a board member of American Unity PAC. Meanwhile, in Congress, Senate negotiators are racing to forge a bipartisan border fix. And Gonzalez says failure to confront this crisis cannot be an option for either side.
1: I mean, I have my hands full here in Washington. Congress needs to lead again and stop waiting for a president to come save the day.
0: Representative Tony Gonzalez, welcome to Firing Line.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me, Margaret.
0: You are a member of Congress that represents. 823 miles of Texas along the U.S.-Mexico border. That's more than 40% of the U.S.-Mexican border in total. Yes. You spend an enormous amount of time on the border, handling the border crisis, face-to-face with all sorts of people along the border. You've called the situation a crisis, chaos, humanitarian turmoil. What are you seeing?
1: I have seen this crisis go from bad to worse from year one to year three, uh, just astronomical numbers, astronomical amount of people's lives that have been impacted. Uh, It's a beautiful district. It stretches from San Antonio to El Paso, takes me 10 hours to get from one end to the other. Uh, a lot of different communities the communities along the border are very rich in culture and trade and commerce and the relationship that we have with Mexico is one that goes well beyond that border but this crisis has really turned people's lives upside down and it's it's tragic in so many ways and while 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 the crisis may start in Eagle Pass or Del Rio or uh, El Paso, it doesn't end there. And we're seeing that exactly happen now where it's going to New York City and Chicago and Denver and Boston is gonna be the next city that's really gonna be hit Hit next. There is no end in sight. So I worry, this is what year three looks like. What does year four, five, six look like if we don't tackle this?
0: You've been sounding the alarm about the border and you have brought more than 100 lawmakers down to the border, Republicans and Democrats, uh, recently, Speaker Johnson, uh, the new Speaker of the House, came to the border. You've also brought presidential candidates to the border. Uh, why is it important, in your view, for them to see the border and the crisis with their own eyes?
1: Once you see it, you can't unsee it. And and I've tried everything. I've hosted 22 different congressional delegations and nearly 200 members now. Um, you know, just last just last week, I hosted uh, Speaker Johnson and uh, 63 of my colleagues, the largest border Codel uh, in history. And we saw it firsthand. I thought that was very important. But what didn't get a play, didn't get a lot of play. A lot of people saw that. But two days later, I hosted Don Davis, a Democrat from North Carolina. So out of these nearly 200 people, most of them have been Republicans. There's only been four Democrats that have taken me up on it. But I want them to see it. Uh, This is what I tell my colleagues and folks that I try to get to the border. I want you to see it unfiltered, untapped, unspun as best as possible. I won't put you in a spot that's going to hurt you politically. I just want you to hear from the mayors, the judges, the first responders, uh, the ranchers, you know, the people that live there, they will tell you the story. And regardless of what their politics are, it is all the same. It's absolutely gut-wrenching, some of these stories and and some of the the daily turmoil that, that they have to deal with.
0: What kinds of things are you seeing
1: well one is uh i was in eagle pass a couple weeks ago and i was meeting with first responders there's so many different layers to this onion and i was meeting with first responders and so in eagle pass uh for thanksgiving let's back up a little bit for thanksgiving weekend there were 14 migrants that drowned that weekend so it's absolutely you know I've, i've seen this number go from one a month to one a week and now 14 in a weekend. The number of people dying as they cross the border. The number of people dying, exactly. And they don't realize that water is very swift and and it, it takes a lot of people away. Well, the other piece, that somebody has to find those bodies. Somebody has to pull those bodies out of the water. Well, that somebody is the Eagle Pass uh, Fire Department. So I met with some of these first responders and they just are exhausted. They're completely exhausted. I think back to, um, I think back to two Christmases ago, I was in Del Rio. I, I, I spent 20 years in the military. So I've been, I've been deployed for holidays a lot of my life. And so for that Christmas, I wanted to go to the border and I wanted to be with border patrol agents. And I go, that's what we're gonna do. And I'm thinking it's Christmas day, the numbers are gonna go down and it would just be my opportunity to thank them for coming to work today. And so I started the day in, in Del Rio and I and it was seven in the morning and there was already over 100 migrants that were being processed. And I see, and I think back to that day, uh, uh, many times, I see a border patrol agent that his face is exhausted. You can tell his shift just started and he is already exhausted. And he's asking these people the standard questions, where are you from, where are you going? Just these typical questions that I've, I've seen them ask over and over. But I also, I see this young woman probably in her early 20s and she has a, a little boy, three or four years old, and this little boy is holding his mother's hand just as tight as can be. And I'm just thinking, what kind of hell did they get to to get to this point? They have no, I guarantee that little boy had no idea it was Christmas Day. They just happened to arrive in the United States that day. And I always think like, what about them? They're not gonna qualify. Nine out of 10 people will not qualify for asylum because they're not fleeing a religious or political persecution, they're fleeing economic persecution. So what we're doing is we're sending them down a dead end route. U.S. Customs and Border Protection has
0: encountered more than 300,000 migrants near the southern border in the last month. That's according to news reports. That's twice the amount seen in the worst month of the Trump administration. Yes. Uh, What Representative Gonzalez, do you think is causing the surge now?
1: Yeah, it's very easy. Uh, Words mean nothing. It's all about actions. I mean, December is normally a month, historically has been a month where the numbers go down because the temperature is bad. There's the holidays, the numbers go down and you see 300,000 people coming over. Those are people that have just been processed that we know of, not to mention the other folks that are not going through that route. I think back to December 20th. December 20th, I'm in Eagle Pass. There's 6,000 people under the bridge. I visited the Firefly facility, the soft-sided facility there in Eagle Pass. It can house a little over 1,000 people. That day, there were 6,000 people in there. I'd never, I've been there two dozen times. I'd never seen it in that porous a condition. Uh, Border Patrol was processing 4,000 people a day. This is a astronomical number. And it still wasn't enough. There was no end What's causing it now? So what's causing it now is we are not, in two things, one is, everything is controlled by the criminal organizations on the other side. They're they're pulling the levers. They're determining why Lukeville, Arizona? Why Eagle Pass, Texas? Why Del Rio? I mean, they're the ones controlling where the traffic is going. These cartels are very organized and sophisticated organizations. And they, you know, it's almost like a travel plan. You know, uh, like you're going to Disney. You know, do you want the silver pass? Do you want the gold pass? Do you want the platinum pass? You know, do you want to get on a train? Do you want to get on a bus? Do you want us to fly you there? Like, what are you looking for? And they and we, like a used car salesman, and we'll find the deal for you is what is happening. And sometimes migrants pay on the front end. Sometimes they pay on the back end. And what I worry about is these these thousands of people that are coming in that many of them have gone through hell to get here their hell is not over uh, the cartels the, the 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 reach of the cartel does not end at the border it is stretching they're growing more and more into these criminal in, into our side and tapping into our criminal organizations here and this is where the threat is and when I've asked from a national security standpoint hey what happens when you know you have a legitimate terrorist threat that comes in who's tracking that? One of the things that has frustrated me is the Biden administration has said, well, the Mexican cartels will never allow that because it's bad for business. And and you hear them talk about, well, we're going to allow the Mexican government to start deporting and doing some of our security. If we start outsourcing our national security, it is bad for America. And so this is where these cartels have grown, they've thrived, and there is no end in sight.
0: How much impact do they actually have? They are
1: at the center of it. You want to get to the root cause? The root cause of this crisis is the cartels. The cartels determine all of it. And this is where we have to put pressure on them. Now, once again, I've, I've pushed to label cartels as terrorists. Not to send in SEAL Team 6 and none of that. You know, I, I I fought in two wars. I want to prevent war. I, I never want to see uh, us get in another war. But how do you tackle it? When well, you go to where it hurts the most. You take their money. There has to be some repercussions to actions. There has to be some leverage that the United States has to put an end to this crisis, because right now we're on a, 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 a path to nowhere and it has to change. And the other piece of it too, the Biden administration may be saying some of the right things, but they're not doing some of the right things. And until they start doing some of the right things, this crisis is going only gonna to continue to boil up. I wanna talk about some of the policy solutions
0: later, but first let me ask you, Um, The Department of Homeland Security last week released data um, that more than 4 million migrants have been deported back to their home countries and removed from the U.S. since President Biden took over. Um, Another 2.5 million, it says, have been released within the United States. Is it an oversimplification or is um, is it hyperbole to say that essentially the Biden administration has left the border open?
1: Uh, it, they have i mean the facts are they have left the border open and if you visit the border you will see it with your own eyes i mean you'll see some of the the razor wire and and these cargo boxes and then you will see people walk right past them i mean it is it is utter it is there's is, and then you'll see an eagle pass there's a golf course so there's a golf course right in front of where all this is happening And you'll see residents still playing golf as people are illegally crossing and walking through the golf course. I mean, it is... It's, everything has turned upside down.
0: What about the 4 million that President Biden's administration has deported, expelled, sent back to their home countries?
1: This is where the devil's in the details. So let's say someone has traveled from Venezuela, okay? And they've made this dangerous track. They've gone over 2000 miles and they've made it to, they've made it to Texas. And the Biden administration sends them back to Mexico. Well, if, if you send them 10 miles away, when they've already made a thousand, thousands of miles of track, they're only going to try again and again and again. They're not going to go, oh, well, you know, I made it this far. Time to give up. So it really is about not only sending people back that do not qualify for asylum. You have to send them back to their country of origin. So the the Biden administration has been arguing, well, these Venezuelans that are coming over, we don't have regular diplomatic relationships with Venezuela on the surface they're go, OK, well, that makes sense. If you if you peel the onion back, most of these people from Venezuela are, are a Venezuelan nationality. They don't. They no longer live in Venezuela. Venezuela has been a collapsed government for a long time. They have fled Venezuela and they're living in Peru and Chile and other parts of Central and South America. They have documentation that they've lived there. They've become residents. But the, but because the Biden administration isn't enforcing things, their cousins and their family members are going. Now is the time to come.
0: In 2023, so last year, a majority of the migrants that were encountered at the southern border came from countries beyond what we have previously seen Mexico and Central America. There are growing numbers of immigrants or migrants crossing the southern border from China and from India. How does what you're seeing now compare to previous surges?
1: It's unlike anything before. And anyone in in the national security space or border security space, or has lived along the border will tell you the exact same thing. It has never been in this manner before. I, I visited Mexico City uh, several months back, and I sat and I sat with President López Obrador. And oftentimes in these diplomatic kind of relationships or or sit downs, it's, it's very pleasantries. No, you're amazing. No, I'm amazing. No, we're both amazing. How amazing we are. What a great job we're doing. Right. And that's how it started. You know, you know, Tony, the border crisis really isn't that bad. And here's a slide deck that we have to prove it. And I go, Mr. President, I mean, look, just this week, Uh, the Tambunga family, which is in Ozona, Texas, in my district, about 100 miles from the border, there was a high-speed chase, a smuggler, crashed into the truck and killed her her, her grand her grand her mother and her 7-year-old granddaughter. So I go, no 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 no, you may be able to sell that to, you know, a senator from the, you know, from from not from the border, but you can't sell that to me. And I asked him for one thing in particular. I said, look, you know, all these people from all over the country are getting humanitarian and tourist visas through Mexico from China, from Africa, from Europe, from all these places to come visit Mexico City. They are not there to see the pyramids. They are there to legally uh, transit through Mexico to get to the United States and then they dump all that documentation and then they enter our country illegally. These are some of the tangible things that I've asked. Ask, you know, uh, Mexico is a partner. They, they they will always be a partner. Good, bad or ugly. They will always be our neighbor and they will always be a partner. I've asked for meaningful things and go, hey, cut back, you know, cut back on some of these, visas. some of these visas because that is a pull factor that's allowing people from all over the world to get here.
0: Um, you spend a lot of time discussing the dynamics of this problem with all of the constituents, um, and even migrants, right? You you talk yes. to border patrol agents, you talk to local law enforcement, ranchers, farmers, small business owners, migrants themselves. Um, what are you hearing?
1: Everyone's exhausted. They are exhausted and they're frustrated. And this is the part I think that is the most uh, dangerous. Is I'm I'm hearing from first generation Americans. That are going these people are not like what we came over for you know this how are they different they're different because one they're coming from all over the world right and and before in many cases in my district predominantly mexican-american and it was predominantly mexican nationals coming over for work and for opportunity and and you have a lot of folks coming from very difficult environments i mean you give you example venezuela that's a tough country and if you're going to survive in that in that country you have to be pretty hardened right so a lot of folks coming over they they it's a, a more aggressive manner than before and they're they're demanding things and and they're they're causing a lot of a property damage and imagine you're in your backyard and you know you're playing with your kids and somebody jumps over the fence five people jump over the fence and walk through your backyard and then they jump back over your fence I mean, you're going to feel violated. You're going to feel upset. And you're going to feel anger. And what I've started to see is that more and more people that were reasonable, right? I mean, I'm talking first generation Americans that are going, hey, look, themselves
0: I'm, had immigrated to it, the United yeah, States. Yeah,
1: exactly. Very recently. And before, you would see these migrants in, you know, you would see your grandparents in their eyes or your great grandparents or whatever your your family's story was. They no longer see it that way. They see them as you're the reason why my sc- there's high speed chases and my school is going into lockdown. And you're the reason why, you know, that all this these people from outside are coming and causing these high-speed chases and, and killing folks. So more and more people have a direct story to the crisis. They're going, my mother, my grand, like someone was directly impacted and they're, they've had enough. One
0: way the direct story has spread across the country is through fentanyl. Yes, And fentanyl seizures at the border have increased 480% since 2020. What does the surge in fentanyl traffic say about the state of border security?
1: Yeah, that should be to me, that should be what unites uh, uh, Democrats and Republicans, because when fentanyl kills, it doesn't care you know what state you're from or what age you are or what ethnicity or what your voting registration is. It just kills Americans. And I think this is something that that the president and others have failed to do is how do you unite us on this issue instead of talking about the things that divide us, which is so easy to do? What about the things that unite us? If you've ever met with a family that has lost someone from fentanyl, it is heartbreaking. And I've met with you know, h- dozens of them and it's heartbreaking. And, and so these are things that are preventable. I'll, I'll go back to December 20th because that's most recently in my mind. Thousands of people under a bridge, no end in sight. What normally happens when things get bad is they shut down the bridge to pedestrian traffic. So Eagle Pass has two bridges. It was down to one bridge that day, one lane. It would take you 15 hours to get it to make it over the bridge Imagine if you had a family member on the Mexican side or on the American side you're a legal citizen trying to tra- trying to transit you would be punished. The other piece is they would shut down the, the railway and when you shut down the railway that would pretty much signal to the Mexican government now's the time to stop we've done that a couple times before and it, the numbers immediately went down. Well December 20th that railway had been shut down for five days. And the numbers kept spik- spiking up. I I mention that because all Border Patrol agents in that sector, 1,400 Border Patrol agents, were in Eagle Pass processing people. What does that mean? That means there was absolutely no one checking what's happening. And so the fentanyl, the the guns, the the dangerous actors, um, it, it just kind of been able to come through like it's the Wild Wild West.
0: Um. Just as a point of clarification, so I understand, we are saying when the railroad is shut down, commerce between Mexico and the United States is shut down and that is shut down because there's simply no ability to process.
1: They shut it down because uh, because a lot of migrants catch this train, they get on this train. And so it's a way to speed up the amount of people that come over. So now you're seeing thousands of people on this train. uh, So they shut the train down to try to alleviate some of the stress of the the folks illegally kind of getting on this train. But in return, I mean, on this train is, you know, 90% of goods are uh, automobile parts. These are cargo trains. Cargo trains. Cargo trains going back
0: and forth that immigrants are stowing away, that migrants are stowing away on.
1: That's exactly right. And when they shut that down, well, all of a sudden now America doesn't have auto parts. One of the largest breweries in the world is on the other side of Eagle Pass in Piedras Negras. And so people don't have their beer. So when you start messing with people's beer and with their auto parts, all of a sudden, you know, this isn't just a Texas problem. This is this has gone much deeper.
0: Um, there's. A growing sense that this really is a bipartisan problem. Um, Democratic mayors of New York City, of Chicago, of Denver, as you referenced, have all publicly called for more federal support to respond to the influx of migrants in their cities. Uh, that's not along your. That's not in your district. That's that's in Denver and Chicago yeah. and and New York. Uh, talk about the financial toll this plays on municipalities.
1: Uh, it's like the Hotel California. You can enter, but you can never leave. So once you get in the migrant business, you're stuck in there. And all of a sudden all your city resources are devoted towards that. Uh, you know, your your firefighters are now operating in this, your police officers are now operating this, your city services, you get consumed by it, and there's no end in sight. So there is no amount of money that can get you out of this. Uh that's what I've been that's what I've been. Pushing for you have to put money in the right places. If all you're doing is reimbursing these cities for their cost, this will never end because only more and more people will go there, and more and more services. There has to be an enforcement piece. There, and there. I've been a proponent of legal immigration. There has to be a a legal route where you can go. Hey, look, this is the right way to do it for either work visas or legitimate asylum claims. I've fought very hard uh, you know, against my party and others to make sure that happens. But when nine out of 10 people are circumventing the system, there has to be repercussions for those people. There is no amount of money that will end this crisis because all the, the amount of cities that are impacted are only gonna double and triple.
0: In 2023, border officials encountered 169 people at the southern border who matched the names on the terrorist watch list. Um, That's up from 15 in 2021. FBI Director Christopher Wray said, The threat of terrorists crossing the southern border is a cause for concern. In your capacity as a member of Congress, have you yourself seen evidence uh, that this is a real threat?
1: I have, and I won't speak to it, but it, it is what keeps me up at night. And at the very beginning of this and throughout, I I always felt that that, that maybe that was the nexus that could unite us. Because once again, when a terrorist action happens, it kills all Americans. They're just trying to kill Americans, not Republicans or Democrats or, or any of these other things. So you've
0: received information in confidential briefings that gives you pause about the security at the southern border from terrorist crossing.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And then in, in, in public hearings, you know, the director himself is saying every light is blinking red. I mean, he is jumping up and down and going, hey, look, if we don't do something about it, something bad is going to happen. It's once again, where I look at and I've had uh private conversations with him and others uh cabinet members to go look i i'm not just gonna give a blank i sit on the appropriations committee i'm not just gonna uh you know promote giving you a blank check i don't agree with some of the the policy issues that you're, that your department is doing but how do you determine how do you not take money away from the jobs the agents that are doing the work and how do you not reward you know these programs that are kind of uh off the rails or rogue or whatever it may be, but it takes understanding every aspect of the government to be able to go, look, I want more you know, money for ice flights, not more money for soft-sided facilities.
0: Representative, you have spent enough time at the border that you actually think this is a problem that is eminently solvable were it not for the politics. So if we were just to divorce politics from the solutions, how do you fix it? Just in plain terms, what does it take to fix the problem?
1: I mean, it's pretty simple to fix it. Um, And all you have to do is look at every administration before this administration. And I know the Biden administration says, well, we need immigration reform. Uh, Yeah. Duh. Right. Of course we do. Right. We need that for three decades. But 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 if you're going to wait on immigration reform to to solve the problem, who knows how long we'll be waiting it to me It boils down. I give you the list of ideas that, that that have been proven to work. But it's pretty simple. The secret sauce to solving this problem is political courage. We need political courage at all levels to be able to go. You know what? Enough is enough. My community, my my uh, our country. We're under so many different threats, and this needs to stop. And I I do believe there is a growing amount of political courage at all different levels, but it will be a heavy lift.
0: Okay, I want to talk about the politics, but let's go back to simply how do you fix it? I've heard you use a formulation that suggests you need some infrastructure, like a wall, you need some manpower, like more human resources at the border, and that you need technology. That's it. And that this is a solvable problem. Yes. Is it really that simple?
1: It is. uh, Depends on, you know, the the infrastructure. You can't put infrastructure in West Texas when it's wide open and there's this beautiful area. There There are some places
0: that a wall just won't doesn't doesn't work,
1: but there's other places that it absolutely does make sense. And then the technology piece, that's where you fill in a lot of the gaps. Why hasn't that worked in the past? Why hasn't it worked? There have is,
0: been some real failures.
1: Yeah. It, it's because, you know, they they throw a little bit of money and then they they walk away and you know there's 10 different programs doing the same thing instead of layering it and building upon it. And then you also you can't just technology without analysis is is useless. You need to have the people to be able to understand it and operate it and maximize it. And then the the manpower piece. You know, right now, the administration is saying, you know, we're asking for more Border Patrol agents and Congress is denying us kind of some of the politics in it. It's really about less about how many agents you have and what are those agents doing? If those agents, if you have fourteen hundred agents and zero of them are out in the field, that doesn't it doesn't take a rocket science to say that's bad. But if you have 1,400 agents and 1,000 of them are in the field actually doing their job, you're going, that's a good thing. So not only have I advocated for more agents, but more agents to get back to doing their job is the piece to it, too. But then there's also our immigration laws. You know, the asylum standards right now are so easy to just say to qualify for. So raising the asylum standards, that makes a lot of sense. To what?
0: How would you change the asylum standards?
1: Yeah, you you raise it from uh, you raise the credible fear standard. Uh, and we, we've we talked about that. We part of the negotiation right now I won't get ahead of uh, Senator Lankford. Uh, they're going to have you know, there there'll be plenty of time for the House to be able to arm wrestle on ours. But in the Senate side, it looks I think that that's one area that everyone agrees it's time to raise it to the next to the next uh, level there. And then the other piece of it, too, is is immigration judges. This is America, right? I I don't envision just rounding people up and you know, this is America. You get your day your day in court, but if you do not qualify for asylum, it shouldn't take you seven years. To be it should take you days, right? If you qualify, great, you know, we wanna we wanna be that warm, welcoming country that we've always been. But if you do not qualify, you get sent back to your country of origin. It's a, I mean it's the reason why I met with the president of Guatemala uh yesterday, uh, and, and I've had many conversations with him. I've actually visited him in Guatemala to go, hey, how can we work together? This is part of, you need partners. You need partners, genuine partners at all levels.
0: You've advocated for ending catch and release, uh, increasing deportations, designating cartels as terrorist organizations, um, bolstering the funding for Border Patrol and ICE operations. And you've introduced bills addressing fentanyl distribution, asylum standards, uh, work visas. If you could wave a magic wand and just get one of those passed, what to you would be the most important?
1: I think it's the deportation flights, um, because this is what I saw in Del Rio. If you remember the Haitians under the bridge in Del Rio, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, thousands of Haitians under a bridge. And then all of a sudden it went away, you know. And so I was there when I was there when it was happening. And I, I showed up, I hosted a delegation uh, two weeks afterwards. And they go, Tony, why are we going to Del Rio? That story's over. I go, now's the time to go to figure out, well, what happened? Why why did this all of a sudden go away? What happened? And so what happened is they started to send Haitians back to Haiti. Most of these- The Biden
0: administration. The
1: Biden administration started to, They increased the number of ICE flights. And immediately once they started doing that, it stopped. Many of these Haitians are going, wait a second here. I I don't even live in Haiti anymore. I'm really from, you know, uh, Chile. Too bad, buddy. You told me you're from Haiti. You're going back to Haiti. So as soon as the word got out on that, I mean, it immediately stopped. So So there's a a
0: deterrence factor that was effective is what you're saying.
1: Yes. It doesn't even take that much either. It's not like, oh, we got to deport, you know, a million people. You, I mean, just a, you just start doing it. You just start enforcing that law and you start deporting people that, once again, that do not qualify for asylum, that are here in the country illegally, you start doing that. The word spreads like wildfire and the spigot is immediately turned off.
0: You've introduced the Higher Act, uh, which would strengthen temporary work visas for uh, migrants who want to work in the United States to frankly address a work shortage, a yes. labor shortage, um, in the country, and this has bipartisan support. Um, Representative Alyssa Slotkin, yeah, uh, from Michigan, is on the bill. Also a former guest of Firing Line. Um, how would this kind of reform help?
1: Yeah, I, I've worked really hard on the legal immigration route. That bill, uh, higher act, has almost uh, uh, almost fifty co-sponsors, both Democrats and Republicans. It's not you know forty nine Republicans and one Democrat. It's 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 split. It's split. And so the frustration I have with the Biden administration is not only they encouraging illegal immigration but then they're rewarding illegal immigration with work visas you know they just gave 500,000 work visas to venezuelans that were here illegally so imagine they're undermining the immigration reform they're undermining legal immigration and this is some of the difficulties i have is first you need to stop encouraging illegal immigration but at the same time you need there needs to be an incentive for those that are doing the right way beyond beyond immigrants that are coming here to work Americans are feeling that way. They're going, what about us? Hey, I'm, I'm paying my taxes. You know, I'm following the rules. I'm doing everything that's right. And somehow I'm falling further and further behind. Just in New York, you know, they closed one of the schools this week in order to have all these migrants as, as shelter. I've seen that exact same thing in El Paso. I've seen that exact same thing in, in Eagle Pass you know, a year ago, two years ago. So so what's happening in Eagle Pass today is, you know, a year or two is coming your way. But this is where we need to have serious people sit down and have serious discussions on how do you reward the people that are trying to do it the right way?
0: Do you sense that in your conference, in the House of Representatives, you have colleagues who are sincere in their interest? to pass an immigration reform, any kind of immigration reform bill in this upcoming supplemental negotiation?
1: I do. Uh, I've also, you know, three years now tackling this issue, I have quickly found there are not that many genuine actors that want to see this problem get solved because it is very lucrative politically to just, you know, blame one another for everything that's wrong. And it's all fun and games when it's somebody else's district or somebody else's state but what has happened is now it's in their backyard and it is their state and they're hearing from from parents that lost children to fentanyl and they're seeing these influx of of migrants come over and consume their city resources so i am seeing a growing number of colleagues on both sides of the aisle that are starting to go hey tony Talk to me a little bit about your plan on how we fix this. And once again, I've hosted—I've hosted nearly two hundred members of Congress. It's insane. And 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 I think once you, members of Congress, D.C. is one thing. When you're on the ground together outside of D.C., you bond quite a bit. It's a more real conversation. And so uh, I think a lot of those seeds that we've planted over the years uh, have promise.
0: Hopefully they'll bear fruit. Listen, the, the House Republicans have proposed immigration legislation entitled H.R. 2 with the stated intention of addressing the border crisis. I think there are aspects, if I understand your position correctly, that that you, um, that you like about H.R. 2, but you have some critiques of it as well. What is your approach and how does it differ from H.R. 2?
1: So when H.R. 2 was being crafted, uh, when we were making the sausage, if you will, I I was very engaged and I've been engaged throughout. So I made sure that the, the things that I thought were detrimental to H.R. 2. Like what? Um, you know, some of these banning all asylum claims, you know, just banning all immigrants, you know, some of this you just, you know. You can't put somebody that's fleeing the Taliban uh, legitimately has been an interpreter with us and is fleeing their family's going to die if they don't get refuge in the same category as, you know, somebody who is circumventing the system. There are legitimate folks that are that are fleeing. And those are the ones I want to protect. And so it was just this kind of everyone's in the same boat. And so I fought very hard to pull some of that that uh, that rhetoric out of it. And I was also looking to go how, you know, to make, it, I don't know if any administration has ever passed an HR2 uh, from, uh, from the house that's in the minority. You know, usually HR1 through 10 are priorities for the minority that you use as kind of messaging things on there, right? So I wanted to make HR2 as realistic as possible with real solutions in there. And there's some things that are in there and some things that aren't. And I've also been working very hard with the senators that are building their package to once again, make sure their package has real tangible solutions. It may not be everything. I've been arguing House Republicans should be fighting for a down payment in 2024 and we come back for the rest when we win the White House in 25.
0: So if I hear a member of the Freedom Caucus say that that member is in favor of HR2 and that's why they're in favor of immigration, should I be skeptical? I mean, is it, if you're for HR2 or nothing, Does that really mean you're for
1: nothing? You know what? There are so many people in this town that want to see nothing. And if they give absolutes, that tells you exactly where they're saying. On one end, you'll say, unless you give us amnesty, I'm out. Well, guess what? You're not going to get amnesty unless you, you know, unless you ban anyone from coming in, I'm out. And I've said, you know what? Take your vote. Take your vote. Step aside. It's time for uh, Republicans to govern. Bring this country together. Find real, tangible solutions. I'm against amnesty. I'm also against banning the the universal ban of you know protecting people that are legitimately fleeing these uh, econ- uh, political and uh, and religious persecutions. And
0: you're for you're for creating a system that offers a legal opportunity to more people. Yes, to yeah. come to the United States, despite. The fact that you see the horrors of the crisis on a regular basis in your district. Why are you optimistic about uh, this moment politically?
1: It is very chaotic. I mean, 2024, you thought 23 was going to be chaotic. 24 is going to be very, very chaotic.
0: But beyond 24, I mean, just right now, as Senate negotiators are negotiating— Are you optimistic about this moment in terms of passing some kind of immigration reform?
1: I'm very optimistic about it, Uh, at least in the Senate. I mean, we've got a ways to go, but uh, because why? I mean, I speak with senators on a daily basis. Uh, We've worked it feels like it's
0: moving in a positive direction it is
1: it no doubt is moving in a positive direction you know uh you know sometimes you take one step forward and two te- two steps back but you're still moving you're still having a conversation and i do believe there is so much political pressure from all these places all over the country that are now starting to see it. You know, I had a conversation with a with a senator. I was sitting down, this was months ago. I was sitting down and I'm urging my case. I'm trying to, you know, get more people involved. And he goes, yeah, it, all that makes sense, Tony, but you know what, my state really isn't hit that bad yet. And so when it does get to a breaking point, you know, maybe I'll, I'll be able to get more engaged. And I go, well, what about this, Senator? What if I sit down with, with uh, Governor Abbott and I ask him to send some buses to your state? He goes, Tony, don't play with me, right? What I'm getting at is, I mean, this thing is spreading. Well, you may not be impacted today, but I guarantee you, you will be impacted by tomorrow. And a lot of folks are starting to realize that and they want to get ahead of the problem. So I am optimistic.
0: This program, Firing Line, was hosted by William F. Buckley Jr. for 33 years. Um, In 1979, I'm Buckley... Actually, dealt with this question of immigration repeatedly, and in 1979, he interviewed the head of INS, mm-hmm. Immigration and Naturalization Services. Um, his name was Leonel Castillo, mm-hmm. and they talked about a hypothetical scenario, uh, which was the subject of a novel. And it was this scenario where an unprecedented number of undocumented immigrants show up at the border. What is the country to do?
1: Mm-hmm. The great moment arrives, what will happen when symbolically this third world simply says here I am, either shoot me down or uh, absorb me. Mm. Now that, that, uh, as I say, captured the attention of a lot of people because it described a visualizable situation. What do you do if uh, hundred and fifty or two hundred thousand uh, undernourished uh, Mexicans simply get up and say, we're coming in, what, what in fact do you do? I don't know what we'd do if, if a huge, huge number uh, came. I do know that it's more and more likely uh, because it's cheaper now to travel. People have great communications. Uh, throughout the world, they know what's happening. Uh, they have great communications, great transportation, and so it's not unusual to have someone from Costa Rica come through Mexico, to come to to New York. And I think they'll we'll see more of these other countries. I would even expect that in 10 years, uh, we'll see a lot of Africans coming here, because it'll be possible to travel.
0: I mean, that's 1979, a description of a situation we now face in 2024. Yeah, we're there. Um, he had no idea, admittedly, how INS would handle sure. that sort of event. Um, but it is going to require a global response, isn't it?
1: It is. And you know what, the, at the very beginning of this crisis, uh, the vice president started talking about root causes. And and I, I give her a lot of credit for that because there is some truth to those root causes and they visited Guatemala and they visited Honduras and they visited some of these things, you know, some of these areas. And they started down that kind of expanding beyond the United States, a solution. But there's been no visit since then. I just visited with the president of Guatemala. And I go, when was the last time that you met with with the vice president or anyone? And the answer is Tony, they visited us one time several years ago.
0: You met this week with the president of Guatemala, as you mentioned, um Alejandro Giamate. What was the nature of your conversation? What do they need? And what did you ask him?
1: Yeah, they're they have they've been jumping up and down going, Hey, Tony, we are your southernest most border. And you know, if you help us, we help you. What kind of help do they need? you know, they need help, they wanna deport people out. They need help determining who these people are that are transiting through their country. Uh, they need resources to be able to tackle some of the situations, the flights, the infrastructure, some of these type of things. Uh, that's some of the part that they've asked for as well. But the the biggest thing is they just wanna be a partner in this. When you start meeting, I've, I've met with so many of the ambassadors and I've traveled all, you know, all over throughout Central and South America. Everyone feels as if the United States has turned a blind eye to our backyard. Does that shock you? I mean, it feels like for decades, the U.S. is always focused on Europe and Asia and the Middle East. Well, what about Central and South America? And we need to spend real dedicated time and effort to be able to go the economic piece to it, the the security piece. You see what's happening in in, uh, Ecuador. I mean, the security piece to many of these different things, it's all interrelated. So once again, the onion gets really complicated fast. But the only way we solve it is we stop talking about what divides us and we start talking about what unites us. And that should first and foremost start with keeping Americans safe.
0: Is the effort by House Republicans to impeach
1: Secretary Mayorkas a stunt? I don't think it's a stunt. I sit on the Homeland Security Committee.
0: I know you were in favor of it at one point, and you've sort of decided that perhaps it's not the most effective way of I, litigating that some of these policy changes.
1: I have, I have had conversations with Secretary Mayorkas that have said, you know what? At some point, you have to, you have to realize it's probably be, it's probably better if you are no longer part of an organization. I think back to my time in the military. You know, we have three year tours. And at the third year, it's probably good for you to switch out and somebody else to come back in. And so when we have over 300,000 people come over illegally in December, whatever the hell the administration is doing – they should do the opposite because that is not working, right? And I think you're seeing House Republicans. Now, some are more vocal than others, but I think your House, you're seeing House Republicans going, we need to hold the administration accountable. I'd also say this. we Okay, so let's say we impeach Mayorkas today. Let's say he is gone today, right? And there's this huge parade that House Republicans have finally impeached Secretary Mayorkas. Does that make our border any more secure than it was yesterday? What's the answer to that? The answer is no, because it's it goes well beyond a person. It's about the President, the administration enforcing the laws that are already on the books last month,
0: Texas Governor Greg Abbott um, signed legislation that empowers local and state law enforcement to arrest migrants. And then it allows local judges to issue deportation orders. Um, of course, the Justice Department has sued the state of Texas uh, for this. And you know it, it it's complicated, right? Because this is a it's a federal issue. But the federal government isn't doing it. Uh, But is the state advancing policies in this regard that are helping the problem?
1: I think the state is trying to do everything it can to keep its head above water. I will say it's the the measures are popular. People are going at least someone's doing something. It's almost like the only game in town. It's like H.R. 2, right? You know. The Senate doesn't have a package, so H.R. 2 is the default, right? The The federal government isn't doing anything. So while they may agree or disagree with some of the measures that the governor is taking, they're going, hey, at least he's trying to do something. It's out of desperation. It's very much out of desperation. The buoys were another example. I mean, there's all these little, the little, uh, the Constantina wire. It's, what People may or may not agree with it, but they're going, at least he's trying to do something. Ultimately, though, if we have our local law enforcement enforcing federal laws. That is a bad idea. I want local law enforcement to be taking care of our local communities. And I want our federal law enforcement who are trained and they're professionalized in this to get back to doing their job.
0: President Trump has said that immigrants are poisoning the blood of our nation. Does that reflect your view of immigration?
1: You know, we're in the 24th season. You're going to see so much rhetoric that's going to be, get thrown around. And, and it's easy. It's easy to throw fuel on a fire when so many people are upset with what is happening. My view on immigrants is we're a nation of immigrants. And I think legal immigration is where we should go all in on. And we should encourage those that want to come and live the American dream, because our nation is filled with all these beautiful stories all throughout. We need more of that. And if we're and ultimately, if we're going to compete with the Chinas and the Russias and the Irans of the world, I want to take the best and the brightest that the world has to offer, and I want to make them Spurs fans, right? I want them going to baseball games. I want them enjoying, uh, you know, our our rich culture and our rich history.
0: Your district includes Uvalde, Texas. Um, Uvalde, of course, was where 19 children were murdered um, after a school shooting in 2022. Um, You are the only member of the House of Representatives from Texas to support bipartisan gun reform legislation that was signed by President Biden. Um, You have been censured by the Texas GOP, both for supporting gun restrictions and also for voting for same-sex marriage. you believe that the 2020 election wasn't stolen. And you are being primaried by more extreme uh, Republicans in a closed partisan primary um, for having taken these stands that some would say were quite politically courageous. Um, out of, in Full disclosure, I am involved with an organization that has endorsed you in your re-election because of your support for same-sex marriage. Uh, Donald Trump won your district by seven points in 2020 over President Biden. How difficult is it for you politically to be a leader and and advocate for political courage when it puts you politically at real risk?
1: You know, I, I don't view the world through a political lens yet. I hope I never get to that point. Uh, I think back to my 20 years in the military. I've been in Iraq. I've been in Afghanistan. Uh, that has hardened me for today. But probably what even has more hardened me. I have six children, so I go. I don't scare easy. You know, I'm not just gonna cower when the the political winds pressure put on you. And I do think we need more members that can view through the lens of how do we do just do the right thing? How do we get our country on track? How do we put put our put our swords down and and pick up our pens and find meaningful legislation that encompasses everybody, not just my tribe against your tribe, but against everybody? And I think the, I think the country is very desperate for that. They're, they're they're tired. We're all exhausted with seeing politics in every aspect of life. We all have our politics, we all have our, our opinions, but we also want to be prosperous and we want to be healthy and we want to be safe. And from, you know, on the Uvalde standpoint, I've been advocating you, we can both protect our kids in school and we can protect the Constitution. This whole either or, you know, these these absolutes that people like to bring up, those are dead ends, right? Find a solution that tackles both. And oh, by the way, that crisis isn't going away. We saw the school shooting in uh, Maine. I mean, there are more and more people that have a direct, uh, a direct uh, re- reflection on what is happening. So I think it's time. It's long time for lawmakers to get out of your corners and sit together. When people think differently, that's okay. Sit down and find meaningful solutions. And I'll never back down from that. I mean, those, the same votes that, 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 you know, may have upset people, I'd take those votes again today if they were, if they came up. You would? I would, absolutely.
0: The 2024 election is coming up. You've been to the border with Nikki Haley. You you gave Nikki Haley a tour of the border. You've given Democrats a tour of the border.
1: um, Elon Musk. You
0: gave, that's right. You took Elon Musk to the border, which really elevated, I think was probably part of what helped bring so much attention to the border. Um, Who is going to be the best president to handle the border?
1: I am looking for a president that is serious and wants to have meaningful change. Uh, And and it's going to be tough to find out, because right now is the rhetoric piece, right? You're in the primary season. The more rhetoric you can put out there, the better. I'm looking for someone who wants meaningful solutions. I'd also say this, too. uh, the, The president is one branch of government Congress has its own role to play. And you know what? We, we have to take ownership. Why haven't we had immigration reform? Why haven't we had this border security, our national security package put together? So I, I look at it is while it is, you know, interesting to see track the politics, the national politics on who's doing this or who's doing that. I mean, I have my hands full here in Washington, and I think it's important. Congress needs to lead again and stop waiting for a president to come save the day. We are the ones from a ground up that I think can ultimately get this crisis under control.
0: You have endorsed Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that he will be a serious actor when it comes to solving the border crisis?
1: I think back to what he's done, and I think back to his policies and the policies that work, whether they're economic policies, whether they're security policies, those policies worked. And if we implement some of those policies again, I think the crisis gets under control.
0: Representative Tony Gonzalez, for elevating this crisis at the border, thank you
1: for your time. Thank you, Margaret.